0: Amen. This morning we are uh, going to continue in our study through the the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, and to give just again a little bit of background. Um, this whole letter, this whole Revelation came to a man named John. John was a disciple of the Lord. John was one who Jesus called to be an apostle. He, John is one who uh, saw Jesus do great and mighty signs and wonders and all sorts of wonderful things as he followed him on this earth, as he walked us earth. John was one who saw Jesus Christ crucified. They saw, he saw Jesus buried he saw Jesus rise from the grave. He saw Jesus as he preached and continued for 40 days. He was with him. John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He, he wrote Revelation. John witnessed all the other apostles being brutally martyred and killed. In fact, they tried to kill him. But God had a plan, and therefore he wouldn't die. They boiled him in oil. Again, I can can only imagine. that. But he wouldn't die. So they exiled him to the island of Patmos, a deserted island in which he was left alone. And the Bible says in in, in Revelation chapter 1, it says that... John was in that condition. I, I, You know, again, I I would imagine that it would take quite a while for especially an an old guy. Listen, it takes me so much longer to heal from things than it used to. Well, I can only imagine the condition that he was in. And the Bible says that he was there in that place alone, away from the churches, away from all of his friends, away from every comfort of life. He's in a cave. And it says on the Lord's day, he's in the spirit. He's worshiping. Just imagine the sight, this, this, this boiled alive guy. Almost 100 years old. In this cave, worshiping God. I mean, I, again, I'll, I'll use myself as an example, but I'm not sure I'd like to think that I would but I'd be quite honest. I'm not sure I'd be worshiping God at that point. I'd be wondering why am I cursed? But he was doing that and all of a sudden he hears this voice from behind him. And this voice starts to share with him these things. He turns around and who does he see? Right there in the midst of the cave and all of this he sees I mean, it's, he, it's not the Jesus with the torn clothing and the Jesus that has no place to lay his head. He sees the glorified, resurrected, living King of all kings and the Lord of lords. God comes in his glory to fill that cave with his presence and he begins to speak to John about things. He says, I'm going to speak to you, John, about things that are and things that are yet to come. All through this boiled old guy, and he gives us the book of Revelation. And in those things that are, he writes these letters. And again, please go back and go through Revelations 1, 2, and 3. Read through them. It'll only take you 10 minutes. Then read through it again and take a little longer to just kind of dwell on what's going on in all of this. First John, is, or John 1 is amazing. John 1. Revelation one is, is totally amazing. You'll see the glorified Christ in this, and he gives us this letter, and this is or this this letter to the churches, and in the here and now, and there are seven letters that he gives, and the first one that we're looking at is this letter to the church at Ephesus, and let's read through this starting in uh, Revelations 2, verses one through seven. He says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. And again, he, 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 that's one thing that's common in all of the letters. There is an angel that's assigned to each and every church. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write the word of him who holds the seven stars. And again, Revelations 1 tells us those seven stars are they, they're the angels that he's talking to about these churches. And in his right, again, he holds these seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And again, they sit, the, the lampstands re- reflect or represent the church, these churches. And then he gives these words of encouragement. He says, I know your works your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. So he gives us encouragement now and then he comes to this criticism and he criticizes this church and he says this, but I have this against you. You have abandoned your love that you had at first. And then he gives them some instruction. And and again, I want you to keep this in mind. Looking at these encouragements, looking at this criticism, just verse four. And then he gives this instruction. Verse five, he says, remember from where you have fallen. Where'd they fallen from? From the love they had at first. Remember where you've fallen. And then he says this, he says, Repent. Look, when God tells us to repent, it's serious. Repent. Repent and then do the works that you did at first. Well, wait a second. Didn't he just encourage them for the works they were doing and for the way that they were still doing the things that they were doing and the the way that they were standing strong? Didn't he just encourage them? So what works is he talking about? He's talking about the works you did at first. We'll get back to that. And he says this, if not, if not what? If you don't remember from where you've fallen and repent and begin to do the works you did at first, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Lampstand represents the church. I, I will shut your church down. And church, please remember, he is not talking to Old Testament churches. He is talking to those who were born again by grace, those who had been touched by the grace of God, those who had been filled with the Holy Spirit, those who many were there at Pentecost. He's talking to a New Testament church here. And he says, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He says it twice. Verse six, yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans. You hate the, again. We talked about that last week. If you look that up, you'll, you'll again you'll find a number of different things. But one of the most pronounced things you'll find out is that this was a group of people who were absolutely tied up in sexual promiscuity. Every kind of sexual behavior, every kind of deviant behavior, they were involved in this kind of uh, of sexual promiscuity, and they were also then also involving it in their religious ceremonies, temple worship, and things of that sort. And and Jesus. Is saying here, hey listen church I know you hate that kind of sexual promiscuity. And then God says, and I hate it too. This may not be popular but for those of you who are being sexually promiscuous being sexually active outside of marriage, God's institution of marriage, for those who are sexually promiscuous you need to know this God hates it. He hates it. Don't think that you will just go ahead and walk in the blessings of God while doing what he hates. That'll get some of you coming back next week. (laughs) Sorry, but this is just the truth. You know what? The truth is the only thing that can set you free. I don't care if you like me. I don't care if you, I, listen, I, I really, I mean, I care. I, I, but I don't care. I, I have to tell you the truth. Amen. He says, I hate it. And then he says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he goes on and he says, to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers, he's talking to the people in this place here. And he says, to those who conquer, who, who realize what I'm saying and overcome this thing, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. Amen. You, now, the other side of that is a little daunting for those who don't conquer. Again, a lot will we'll go into some of these things over the next couple of weeks because I think it's vitally important but I wanna take just a moment, just let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is alive, it is active, and I thank you that you've sent it to us to love on us and to care about us with it. That Lord, we would use your word to wrap around our heart, to keep and to protect us, so that the Holy Spirit would come and refine that word in us. God, let us see fire up in our bones that we would, Father, see the ability and the strength to do what you've called us to do, to obey you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So last week, I, I talked about the encouragements that he gave. I won't go through a lot of those, but... Go ahead and throw those up there, Michael. He encourages the church because they were continuing to serve faithfully. They were even in the midst of all of the trials they went through, they were faithfully serving God, faithfully doing the things that God called them to do. He says that they were enduring hardships. This was a difficult place that they were in and they were enduring. They were standing firm. They were were remaining faithful and faithful to serve even when they were coming under great hardships in their life. He says that they had sound doctrine. These people had spent time time listening to what Paul was saying, listening to what those who were called to lead were preaching and teaching and sharing. They had spent time studying and understanding and knowing what their doctrine was. These people had sound doctrine, and because of that, they were able to stand against those who were trying to bring false doctrine in, those who were trying to bring in occult things, those who were trying to bring in false religions and false gods. They were able to stand against the heretics, and he says they hated that. So these people, these are the encouragements that God was bringing through Jesus as he's sharing this with John. And then he brings this criticism. And it's a big criticism that he brings in verse 4. And he basically says, you are not very loving anymore. You're not, not very loving. My question that I've been wrestling with is how does a church with all of those wonderful encouragements and all of those good things and all of the blessings that were there? How does a church that was doing all of those things come to a place where Jesus would dole out this very harsh criticism? Well, that doesn't sound too harsh, Pastor Mark. What are you talking about? I mean, they, okay, they weren't quite as loving as they used to be. It may not sound that harsh, but when you look at what he says and you look at that in light of the consequences that he doles out here, you can lose your lampstand, he said. Hey, you know what? He's talking about losing the opportunity to partake of the tree of life. This is harsh. This is some, again, harsh things that he's speaking to the New Testament church. Again, I'm... I, There's a lot of places we could go with all of that. I I want to stay on course here so that we can get you out of here by dinner. (laughs) So what he does here is he commends them. He commends them for hating the wolves. And then he criticizes them for the way in which they've lost their love for the shepherd and for the sheep and for... Him, the good shepherd. And he brings this criticism to them. And as I'm praying through this whole thing, I realize, you know what? This is way, way more common in many of us than what we might think. A whole lot more common. And I've been going through these letters and reading through them and and beginning to really study through them one at a time. Uh, And I want to encourage you read through the letters. And I want to encourage you to do what I've been doing. I've been looking through these things and going, man, which, ask yourself this question. If Jesus was going to send you one of these letters, which one would you be most likely to receive? (laughs) No, I mean, they all relate, but which one would be most likely to be the top of the list for you? I, again, you go through and do this. I've done that. And and I'll be really honest with you. I think that the letter that I would be most likely to receive would be this one. I just, I believe that this is where I would be most likely to receive because I was thinking through this and praying through this. And and honestly, you know, we've all seen this. People that have read through the Bible, you know, you've heard this. Oh, I read through the Bible cover to cover once a year, whether I like it or not. and 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 they're just you know mean-spirited well you know what we can get to this place where you know what we are studying and we are reading and we are studying and we're coming through this you know where i've gone through the bible and i come through those word of god and it's like man I, i i i've i've done what you've called me to do god I can get to this place where, okay, you know what? I, I've persevered. We, I've seen some accomplishments and I've seen some failures, Lord. I've seen some victories and I've seen some, some, some defeats. God, we've gone through and, and we've been studying and working through and we've served you and we've given to you and we've poured ourselves out and we have given what we can. Lord, I've been to this place of exhaustion and you know what? We can get to a place where when we get to, into that, where, where we can all of a sudden, gradually, we become jaded or unloving we we no longer are doing things because we're loving we can be just unloving now we can begin to do ministry and go through the works of the ministry go through the steps of the ministry without passion we can begin to do it for the sake of the ministry rather than the sake of those who God's called us to minister to and all of a sudden, we're going through the motions because the motions are so familiar. Church, it, it's, we, we have a propensity to become religious. And I really believe that's what's happened to these people. Because listen, they weren't, they weren't reading all the wrong books. They couldn't. If you look in Acts, they burned them all. It wasn't like they had the wrong preacher in the pulpit. You, you know, again, they had Paul preaching. At least you have an excuse. Come on. They didn't have an excuse. Paul was the one that was spending hours every day preaching and giving them foundation and doctrine, and the people were coming. They didn't have the wrong guy preaching. They weren't being criticized because they, did, because they stopped being generous givers or because they, they no longer were faithfully serving or patiently enduring or overcoming. They, they, didn't, they weren't being criticized for any of that. He says, you know what? And I thought about it. It's like, you know, it's like your kid when you give them a list of chores. How many of them can go through and they can just check every box, but they sure don't have their heart in it. Well, he's saying, you know what? You guys, you went through and you checked every box. Yes, you remain dutiful and faithful and you have been serving. But I know your heart. And you've gotten a little cold. Your heart has grown a little hard and calloused. And it's not very loving anymore. And the result is you've fallen from where you first started. You've lost your reason. Because when you started, There was a lot of love in you for Jesus. There was a lot of love in you for the people of God. There was a lot of love in you for the church. There was a lot of love in you for the ministry. There was a lot of love in you for those that were hurting and out there in the world. There was a lot of love that you had for the unsaved, for non-Christians, for the lost, for the homeless. You used to do it because you loved them I just look at this, you know, and he doesn't, I think he would have said something if it wasn't that they were hating. It wasn't that they were despising people. I think they just got to the place where they were just done being very loving. I'm just done. I'm done being patient. Done being kind. Done being gracious. Done being understanding. All, done. In church, oftentimes this is what happens. And 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 today, this is classic fundamentalism. It's just fundamentalism at the core. We can, we can come at it. and how many times you hear it? Wait, you know what? We're a Bible believing church. Now please don't take this to the extreme. Of course, we're a Bible believing church. I'm we're a Bible believing church. We're I'm a Bible believer. Yeah, but. Are you nice? Hey, you know what? Just do a, do a you know, concordance search. The Bible uses the word love a lot. A lot. In many different ways, in many different shapes, in many different forms, he uses that word love. But hey, you know what? We speak the truth. Yeah, but do you speak the truth in love? Because I believe there's somewhere in scriptures that God says, I want you to speak the truth in love. Are we doing that? See, this is what can happen to us. This is what can happen to us if we become like the Ephesians and, and it becomes all about truth and, and perseverance and work and faithfulness, which again, those are good things. He commends them for that. But we lose sight of the, the love and the grace and the kindness. And so many people walk away from the church because they feel that the church is heavy-handed and authoritarian. It causes the church to become cold and unkind and calloused. Again, how many of you? Again, don't, don't raise your hand. But how many of you could find yourself in this place? Hey, you know what? You're not a heretic. You you haven't become a false teacher. You haven't gone apostate. You know, you haven't walked away from God. You're still giving. You're still serving. You're still reading. You're still caring. You're still trying. You're still putting in the effort. But there's just been this gradual, as I look at it, decrease in love in my heart. And Jesus' word, I think this is just, you know, very interesting. Jesus says this, but think about that. How hard is it for us to judge someone else's motives? How hard is it for us to judge someone else's heart? We can't even judge our own. We, we have struggled in that. Yet now we're supposed to judge someone else's heart about what? About something that is probably one of the most subjective things that we will ever have to Uh, deal with in this world whether someone or whether i am loving or not how difficult is that one person thinks it's loving and one person thinks it's not this person thinks it is loving and this person thinks that it's not loving we go back and forth with all of that you know what a wife says you're not being loving and he's saying yes i am i come home every night It becomes for us so subjective because we all have different needs. We all have different ways that we need that love, that we receive that love. And so it's really hard to be subjective in that. And Jesus, the sovereign God, he reveals himself as the resurrected Christ. He comes into this place, the all-knowing God, and he says, I know this. I know you may not, but I know this, and I know this about you. I know that your heart, I see it's not filled with the love that it was before Now, there are some good excuses that we could probably use just like the Ephesians could have. Think about this. You know, I hear this from people a lot. Well, you know what? This is just a hard city to live in. And, you know, how many of us would say, you know what, I I live in a hard city or I live in a, a, I work in a hard city. Or many of you that, you know, have to go in every day to Salt Lake City, go into the big city. How hard is it? I think it almost becomes a redundant statement, hard city. (laughs) The city is just hard. It's difficult. And and again, I, I think in our day, it becomes even more so because the closer you get to major cities, the less likely you are to find them filled with Christians today. Our cities have become more and more liberal, more and more open to all sorts of unbiblical, ungodly kinds of behavior. Our cities today are really difficult places. One of the simple reasons is because the city has become a place where there's this transistent attitude where people are coming and going and coming and going and people are moving in and moving out and everybody I mean you get to know somebody and next thing you know there they go they move out everybody's coming and everybody's going and the city is a place where people move around a lot we see that even here it's like man we can't even hardly we can't do a mail out because we don't we have let most of you we have your address from three moves ago And and, and the the closer you get, the bigger the city, the more this happens. Well, you know what? Eventually, I'm just tired of meeting people and getting to know people and forming a relationship for them to just go ahead and now they just move on. I'm tired of it. I I don't want to do this. I'm tired. Nobody's buying. Everyone's renting. It's too expensive. It's hard to love people. They just keep moving. You know what? I'm just going to stay indoors. I'm just not going to make any friends. You know what? It's easier that way. It's easier for me that way. I'm going to stop pursuing people. It happens. This is another, you know, becomes sometimes, it becomes really difficult to love the city that we're placed in. And again, the bigger the city, the more this is true. But cities are not family friendly anymore. You know, I remember when I was a kid, we used to go to Las Vegas because Las Vegas was family friendly. There was all sorts of things for us to do as a family there. Today, it is indecent. I don't want, last time we went there years and years ago, I was embarrassed to have my kids in Las Vegas with me. Joni and I, the last time we went alone, said we will never come back. Again, everybody has these, but it's just not family friendly anymore. Cities have become so expensive and it's complicated to try to raise a family in that kind of atmosphere. Again, because most of those kinds of places, it's really hard to raise kids in living in the city. That's why most people don't want to do that. If people, that's why so many of you work in Salt Lake City, but you live out here because you don't want to raise your kids in the city. And this is a place where you can afford that. You can afford to have that. I mean, and again, I think the same thing probably was true in Ephesus in that day as it is now. But if people start getting frustrated, I was doing some research in this about city. You realize that, that the number of dog parks are growing in cities faster than kid parks. How frustrating would that be? Come on, kids, let's go to the park and watch the dogs play. It's amazing that, that, that big cities have become more friendly to dogs than they are to children. And I, again, I know these are possible issues that they could have dealt with then, but we certainly do now. You start to see cities today, and, and it's spreading. But cities are, are filled with open sexuality of every kind of deviant behavior, especially in the cities, It's becoming more and more and more openly accepted to be sexually uh, permissive in in every shape and every form. The city is a place where every kind of, of, of false god is there to be made an idol of. Idol worship is wide open. And, and, you know, there's this tolerance and diversity that is proclaimed in cities today. I mean, we, in New York and L.A., this diversity and this tolerance and this acceptance is there for so many people, but not you. Because you believe that there aren't many ways to heaven. You believe there's one way to heaven. You believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that there's no other way unto the Father except through Jesus. And so because of that, people call you narrow-minded, Bible believer. There's no tolerance any longer for those who are following Christ. The city's a place, and and, and after a period of time, it's really easy to just grow sick of it. I'm sick and tired of all these people with their false gods, with all their religious idols. I'm really sick and tired of all this politics. My goodness, I mean, we still deal with some of this today. I was reading through some of the things that Domitian did, and and man, oh man, we see so much of it in our life and in our world today. You know, the, the taxes that were being levied on the people in Ephesus were horrible. They kept raising the taxes. Domitian, and Domitian did this as the emperor because it was his way of controlling the people. And what he was doing was systematically raising taxes so that he could take money from the people to fund the things that they, he wanted funded. Things that as Christians they didn't want funded. And then what one of the things that he did was he raised for the military in that day for the uh, the Roman military he raised their pay quite a ways. So he took money from the people, gave this huge pay increase to the soldiers so that people would want to become soldiers and the soldiers would be loyal to him because they were getting a fat paycheck. And so they would go out and they would do whatever he told them to do. So whatever law he decided to enact, he would then just take the military and make them obey. Now, can you imagine then? And again, there's there's a lot of parallel with where we are today in some of this. So the people of God had to be frustrated. Well, wait a second. So Jesus in his word tells us that we're supposed to pay our taxes. And then they take our tax money and they use it for things that are ungodly. It's like today. They take our tax dollars and they use our tax dollars to fund institutions that pay for abortions. So here, these people are, they're paying taxes because Jesus told them that they needed to pay their taxes, and they're paying their taxes to a guy, a ruler, who has claimed himself to be God and and Lord and Savior, and he's taking their money, their money that Jesus said they needed to give to the government because it was tax money, and they're taking that tax money, and they're hiring soldiers that would come out and harass them. This gets tiresome. You know what? If I'm going to get harassed, I at least don't want to be the one paying for it. Church, look how difficult all of this would have been. There was a lot of legitimate reasons they could have used as excuses. They could have got together and just decided, you know, here's all the reasons why we don't like Ephesus anymore. Well, I don't don't want to be here. Here's why I'm sick of it. You know what? We have served, and we have faithfully been here, and we have faithfully sent out teams. We have faithfully funded the missions work. We've been planting churches. We have been doing, we've been giving, we've been writing books. We've been planting these churches, filling these churches up. I mean, if you look at the history of the church in Ephesus, it was, if you Generations—they had made great inroads in Christianity, even in the difficulty of this time. Which means that they were growing. These people were doing. They had councils. They had all sorts of input. They were—they—they they, they had a little bit of clout going on. They were gaining some places, and they were staying faithful to it all. At least theologically, they were staying faithful and doing what God had called them to do. So what that means is that for generations, there was there was. Father and son and and grandson and great-grandson and great-great-grandson and great-great-great-grandson. And that for decades, the, the church was growing and doing and all these things were going on out there. And they were giving, they were serving, they were caring, they were reading, they were praying, they were suffering, they were enduring, they were going through all this. But at some point, come on. At some point, they gradually just got sick of it. You know what? I'm sick of it. All this time, all these things. You close that for me, Joshua. All this stuff going on. I'm sick of it. You ever felt that way? In that place? It's like, you know what? It's enough. And Jesus is saying, and I want you to see this. And Jesus is saying through this guy, John, this 100 year old boiled in oil guy who's been exiled to a mountain or to an island in a cave. Jesus comes, and that's the message that he brings through this guy to you and me saying, Hey, you're still alive, you're not finished. The work's not done. You need to go forward. It's not over with. You have a life yet, so we are not done. He's saying it through this guy, through John. He's saying, keep going. Come on, keep going. I want you to keep having, doing what you're doing. I want you to keep doing But don't try to do it without my heart. Don't try to do it without my love. Amen. All through this old guy. So, How do we become like that? How does this relate to us? Can you become like these Ephesians? Look, we all, I think, have a propensity to that. I'm just, you know, again, I think we can read through these texts and study this all out. And we can look at it from a number of perspectives. We can look at this from a historical perspective. And be like, you know, I, I could put all the historical things up, all the pictures, all the you know, wonderful things that Ephesus, and we could go, wow, that, the archaeology is just amazing. That's so wonderful. I love the information I've gotten. We can look at this whole thing theologically and, and look at it and go, oh, these people, they missed it. We, we can begin to look down on them. Or we can choose, church, to see this humbly and realize that man he may very well be talking to me and and if he's not right now it very well could be I could become like these Ephesians so it's not just for them this whole letter it's not just for them it's for the churches it's for the church it's for me it's for you It's for this church here. How do we become like the Ephesians? We need to understand that. One of the things that I think they did, and this becomes so easy to have happen, is they began to pit truth and love against each other. You know, truth and love were always intended to be like this. Not like this. You know, Jesus, when he came to this earth, Jesus was filled with love. He came and did what he did out of love for you and I. Jesus was filled with grace and truth. He was absolutely the epitome of both. But we have a tendency in our fallen nature, in our human nature, we have this tendency to sometimes fall on one side or the other a little more heavily than we should. Some are, some are just grace people and some are truth people. Right? I mean, Jesus is saying, look, I want you to be filled with truth, wrapped in grace. I, I want you to, to, to love people, and I want you to love them around the truth, where they, they go hand in hand. Because grace people are those who are just, you love, love, love people. I just love everyone. I just love everything. I just love what's going on. I just love this. And, and all, my goal is I just, I just want to be nice. I just want to be lovely. I just want to be patient. I just want to endure. I don't want to have to confront anybody. I don't want to have to speak to anybody about their sin. I just want to love, 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 but I've got no biblical foundation of truth to hold on to then there's those who are the truth people and truth people just kind of they can see the bible as a a place to reload their magazine the bible is really nothing more than a bunch of bullets that we call verses and i've always got my gun loaded because when somebody says something that's wrong Oh, no, 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 no. Ephesians, Galatians, Leviticus. Bam, 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 bam. Ready to just shoot people down at a moment. Fire at will. Fire at will. And Jesus would say, you know what? You got a good verse there. I really like that scripture. I'm the one who gave it to you. And you know what? In, in one essence, you may have hit the bullseye. But that person that you shot with that sure probably didn't feel like they were being loved. Because you left them laying there hurt and bleeding. Because all you wanted to do was shoot your truth at them. And you didn't use any kind of love. You didn't encourage them towards repentance. You pushed them away from the church. You didn't encourage them towards their their sins. It just caused them to be in shame and to be in guilt and condemnation. And didn't Jesus say, for those who are in Christ, there's no no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Well, listen, church, that means that God never uses condemnation to motivate people. He doesn't use that. And so, church, we don't want to pit love and grace against the truth against one another look i 'm all for I mean we need both, but church truth must be communicated from someone that genuinely loves that 's the way the church started, but what can happen in us is you know we can get to this place where we just and, and it's not right but In ourselves, sometimes when we grow in one area, we can fall away in another. And sometimes we can get to this place where we start to elevate the truth, elevate our knowledge of the truth, elevate our superiority of the truth. And what can happen is that we begin at that point to even subconsciously devalue love. Okay, We we begin to grow in truth, but then we start to devalue sometimes our love for non-Christians devalue our love for people that are of other religions or people that annoy us, people that we don't like, people that oppose us, people that criticize us, people that mock us. We we tend to get to that place where we can do that. When we grow in this area, we start to fall away in this area. And Jesus says, yes, you need to say the right thing. Yes, you need to say it at the right time, but you need to say it in the right way with the right motives. Yeah, truth, absolutely. Absolutely. But let's face it, truth absolutely needs the airbag of God's love. And are we doing that? I know certain churches, man, they can, they can do that. Because when, when we don't have love, we just absolutely decimate people. And there's a lot of churches that do that in church. There's pastors that do that. And I'm sorry to say, I, I know I have done that before. And I know that some of you have as well. We can, we can do that. And, and God's called us to a place of repentance. He doesn't want us to, to breathe fire on people and incinerate them. He doesn't want us to show people the fundamental doctrine that we have so that we can impress them with our spiritual accolades. Look, he doesn't want us to decimate people. He wants us to speak truth to them in such a way that would invite them to repentance, that would invite them to a life that they could find the grace of God, to call them to a place where they would want to come and fellowship with God, with the church, to come into a place where they would want to come and have fellowship together, where they would invite the Holy Spirit to come into their life and start transforming and changing and blessing their life. And, and so the, the last thing that I'll share with you today is the, the second way that we, that brings us to the second way that we can be like the Ephesians. And that's when we start listening to only our doctrines and we stop listening to the Holy Spirit. And now again, that can happen. You know, you can, you can read the Bible. You can spend years and years and years every day just reading your Bible and getting into your Bible. And church, that's a good thing. Okay, that's a really good thing. We, we, but we can get to the place where we're just reading through the Bible because that's what we're supposed to do and we're reading all the Christian books and today we can come under so much teaching on the internet and with so much education we can be so overeducated and under applied we have got this place where you know we got a year of Bible college under our belt and so now we have got all of our scriptures categorized we have everything in our Bible we've got them highlighted in in our yellow our red our blue and we've got everything categorized and we know exactly where to go our doctrine is in place we've got this place of religious systemization going on it's complete we don't have anything else to do or at least we feel like that and all of a sudden we begin to run on autopilot we get to that place where you know what i i just you know what i really don't need to pray too much anymore now we may not say that but we think that i don't need to pray so much because well i have theology that tells me what to do Or I don't need to listen to the Holy Spirit anymore because I have theology that directs all my steps. Now again, I'm all for theology. Please, we have to have theology. We have to understand doctrine. Doctrine. But church, what he's saying is don't avoid those things. Don't avoid doctrine. Don't avoid theology. Don't don't avoid systemization of scripture and what it is that God's speaking to your heart. Don't avoid those things. But you still need to be filled each day with the Holy Spirit. You still need to be led each day by the Holy Spirit. You still need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Church, you still need to remain teachable. As I, again, this is that place where when we stop being teachable, we run into all sorts of problems. And that's why Jesus said this. And he said this to all seven. This is one of the things that's common for all of the seven churches. He said in verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. He's saying basically, you know what? You're not listening to the Holy Spirit. You're not listening to him. Now, again, I'm not pitting the Holy Spirit against Scripture. Please, the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired and wrote the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit is the one who gave us the very word of God. And he gave us the word of God that is perfect and it is true and it is good. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes into our life and he comes to dwell and to live within us so that he can guide us into the word, into the truth. So the Holy Spirit absolutely does these things. That's what Jesus said in the gospel. So so the the truth is is that the Bible, you know, the Holy Spirit comes in and he causes the Bible to become of use in our life. He begins to enlighten it in our life and he uses the word of God. The Holy Spirit will to lead us and to shape us and to transform us and to change us, to take us into his will, to help to direct us, to inform. The Holy Spirit will do all of those things. But church, you cannot live by the word of God without being filled by the spirit of God. You need Him. We begin to walk in a religious kind of dogma that that will begin to hurt people when the Holy Spirit wants to take us and show us how to use the Word of God as a balm, as a salve, as a healing virtue in the lives of people around. And today, there's a a number of theologies that that essentially tell us that the Holy Spirit does not operate like He did before. And again, it's not true. It's not. I absolutely agree that there are specific things that the Holy Spirit was doing at, at, a, at certain times to reveal certain things in the church as this church was founded and the church began. I absolutely believe that. But we still, in the same way that they needed the Holy Spirit, we still need the Holy Spirit in every moment of every day, just like they did back then, and just like every Christian until he comes again will absolutely need Because church, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the sign and seal of our salvation. And we need the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to convict us, to instruct us, to lead us in the word. We need that. Worship team, come on back up, would you please? So, how do we become like this Ephesian church? How can we protect ourselves in that way? How do we do that? And you know, we can get to this place, church, where we become so consumed in our studies, our, our, our systematics, our, our religious affiliations, our doctrine, we can get so tied up in all of that that church, we forget that Jesus is alive. We, we get to the place where, you know what? We, we stop relating with him out of the love relationship that drew us to Him in the first place. We we came to... Listen, you may think, we may think that we come to Jesus because we want to get out of hell free card. There's not a one of us that didn't come to Jesus for any other reason than His unconditional love drew us to Him. Absolutely. Does he set you free from a future of hell? You bet he does. He's the only way out. But it's his unconditional love that draws us there. And, And we can forget that. We can forget that we're supposed to be having a love relationship with the groom, that we're engaged to him, we're his bride. And we're supposed to be each and every day having this love relationship with Him. We can forget that the Holy Spirit actually has taken up residency in us, that He lives in us. We can begin to ignore Him. We we can walk away from the fact that we're supposed to follow Him, not Him, try to get Him to follow us. And, And when we do that, Christianity goes from being a relationship that we once enjoyed to being a religious belief system that we are simply adhering to as we go through the motions. And let me let me very plainly say this, church, it's both. We need both. Christianity is a religious system that we are called to have a belief system in that we adhere to. Absolutely. But church... It is intended, God made it to be a relationship that we would continually enjoy. And we need both. So I'm not pitting the Word of God against the Holy Spirit. No, I'm saying that we need both. We need the truth of God's Word. We need His love. We need the leading and the that we need to give to the Holy Spirit so that he can love on us and continue to renew that love in us. Because when, when he says here, hey, you know what? You have fallen from your first love. I believe with all my heart that what he's saying is you have grown weak. You've grown cold in the relational enjoyment with Jesus. You've grown cold in the love relationship with the people around you. You've grown cold in the love you have for people that are lost and bound for hell. Those are some ways that we can become like the Ephesians. And listen, I, I know, I know that I know that this very easily could be a letter that Jesus would send to me I pray that you would search your heart in the same way will you bow your heads with me take just a moment church let the Holy Spirit just minister to you Have, have have we as a church have we gotten to that place where we're ministering to people because that's what we do and lost sight of those that we actually are doing it for. Have we gotten to that place? And have you gotten to that place? Lord, help us today. You speak to our hearts, I pray. You minister to us, Lord God, in this place of need, in this place, Lord God, where you would speak to us. God, restore unto me, ask him, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Restore unto me, Lord God, a first love relationship with you. Restore unto me, Lord God, the very power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that I could submit myself completely to you. And I, as you called the church to do, repent. I repent, Lord God. Oh God, I repent for walking out of that relationship, the depth of that love that you have for me, that Lord, I could love those around me the same way. Help me, Lord. Help me to love you better. Help me to love you more. Help me to love you. Help me to love you in truth. Help me, Lord God, to love those around me with truth. And fill me fresh and new today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Oh God, I need you. I need you more. Fill me, oh God. we message with the heart that was intended I love you I I pray God help me to love you better that it not just be all about a a message but it be about a love relationship with him that flows to you I pray that you will take the words and let God minister them to your heart as he's called you to step out and to be the church so go out there and love this community go out there and let the holy spirit lead you let the holy spirit speak to you and submit yourself to him for he knows the way the plan the purposes that god has for you god bless you i love you go out there and be the church god bless don't forget the time the offering box in the back just want to remind you god
1: bless y'all Was, we worship the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who ever will be. He opened the prison doors, He parted the raging sea, my God today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise.